my point. How's everybody doing today? It's good to uh, see all of you this morning. It's great to uh, just be able to worship with you. I was sharing with our first gathering that, um, you know, we don't know a, a lot about what heaven is going to look like. Uh, we get some glimpses in scripture. In fact, it's kind of interesting. Jesus spoke on hell more than he spoke about heaven, which is crazy interesting. But one of the things we are certain about heaven is that um, we will gather together with every with people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and uh, we will worship the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, in a way that is honorable to them. And so it's kind of like Sunday morning, especially this first kind of half of the gathering where, um, you know, worship is not music by any means, and there are far more ways to worship than just through music, but it is a way we worship together. And when the family does that, when the body does that, it's sort of like a glimpse of heaven. Um, still imperfect and still... Um, uh, you know, still lacking, and we're not able to see him face-to-face like we will one day, but it is kind of a glimpse of heaven, and I certainly enjoy doing that with you. Um, there's nothing I enjoy more um, than my Sundays with you. I mean, it's my favorite time of the week, and uh, I particularly like our second gathering because I come down and hang out with our students and worship with them, which is a lot of fun, too. So um, it is, uh, it's just a, it's such a pleasure for me to be able to be uh, your pastor and enjoy hanging out with you, hanging out with the family on Sunday. So thank you for that. Um, I want to pray, and then I want to go ahead and just kind of warn you a little bit. Uh, Every now and then we have those sermons and and messages where um, it's kind of like the the rib, the elbow to the rib kind of messages where somebody, you're sitting near you, you find find yourself compelled to elbow, particularly if we have spouses in the room this morning. Uh, My guess is the way that it typically works is um, one or both of you will in particularly uh, feel the message for the other person. So um, I, I just, I guess the thing I would say is uh, try to listen for yourself. And when you find it, it near impossible to not elbow them, just don't make it so apparent that it distracts me and makes me laugh. That's the only thing that I asked for this morning because uh, I think it probably could happen. But all kidding aside, as we pray, I want to ask you to pray uh, that God would clear your mind and your heart this morning and let you listen because I do think that what we're going to see this morning is something that. Um, is, is vital to our culture, but it's something that our culture does not do very well. And, um, and there's a lot of things about Scripture that the culture doesn't do well, but this is one of those things that I think has bled over from the culture into most of our lives. This morning, I would say the message that you're going you're to hear this morning probably affects almost everybody. And uh, part of it is just being an American or growing up in kind of a Western culture uh, that, that lends itself that way. And so I just want you to pray as we pray this morning. I want us to take a special minute and just ask God to let us hear his word and give us courage to apply it. So let's, let's pray together. Father, um, thank you so much for being present with us in the room. Uh, thank you that we can sense and feel the presence of your Holy Spirit. And, uh, and Lord, it's the Holy Spirit's guiding and teaching and instruction that we desire to hear this morning. I, I let it uh, let the Holy Spirit speak. I don't have anything to say that if, if he doesn't speak, I don't have anything to say that is worthwhile. Um, and it still amazes me that you use human words, human voice, and uh, human teachers to communicate uh, your words supernaturally. But I ask that you do that this morning. I ask that you not just speak to ears, but you speak to hearts. And uh, help us to hear your message and understand its importance and its significance and challenge us in a way that we would walk out of here and do something different than what we than what we experienced when we came in the door. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to begin this morning and ask you to do me just a little bit of a favor. Um, and, and there's multiple ways you can do this, uh, I, but I want you to be able to 
consider something, and I think it's best if you find a way to write it down. Some of you are very men, you know, you can, you can do things mentally, and that'll be okay. But I would encourage you, if you've got a piece of paper, take it out with a pen. Uh, if not, most of you have smartphones. Open it up to, like, the Notes app. And uh, let's just do an exercise together. I think it will be worth your while, or I wouldn't ask you to do that. So let me give you a second. Everybody, if you're not doing it, just pretend like you are. Just kind of like look like, I mean, here's a great time. You don't want to do that. Just browse Facebook. It'll be fine. I'll think that you're taking notes. It'll be cool. Um, maybe if you're going to do that, maybe just go over to the live stream real quick and hit a thumbs up. Maybe put a comment. Um, but here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to I ask you to take that out. Take a way to write. And I want to encourage you. I want to I invite you to do it. Take inventory this morning. All right, and what we're going to take inventory of is we're going to take inventory of our time, all right? And maybe you've never done that before, but I want to encourage you to do it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to recognize there's 168 hours in a week, all right? And we're going to look at how we spend that week, all right? Kind of like you make a budget for money, we're going to look at your time budget. How do you spend your time? Your normal budget, but how do you spend your money? This is going to be a time, but we're going to look at how you spend your time. And so where I want to begin is I want to begin with sleep, all right? I want to start there. Because here's one thing I know is you can go without sleep for a short period of time. I mean, probably 24 hours and you're going to fall asleep whether you want to or not. Some of you, maybe it's 48. I would be venturous to say, I would venture to say, if you go 72 hours without sleep, you're going to have more problems. Like there, there's actually something that happens at about that time that, I mean, it's not good. So let's just start with sleep because you really don't have an option. So what I want you to write down, I don't want you to just write down how much you sleep. I want you to write down how long you're in the bed, all right? Because I know how this works among couples. There is probably, in the husbands and wives in the room right now, there's going to be one of you that you lay down, the light goes off, and you go to sleep. The other one reads Facebook for four and a half hours and then goes to sleep. And that's kind of like married life. Like, that, that's where we live. Like, one's one way, one's the other. So we're not counting how much time we actually sleep. Because there's some of you that's like, well, I'm in bed like eight hours, but I sleep 17 minutes, all right? This is not... We're, we're not talking about your dysfunctional sleep life. We're talking about how long you spend in the bed. All right, so write that down. Um, you know, how many hours in a day, and then you're going to have to multiply it by seven. Those of you who are using your notes app, you can get out the calculator. All right, you multiply that out. That's how many hours you're doing that. Uh, then let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about work or school, depending on what stage of life you're in. Right, so I want you to write down how many hours you spend at work or at school. Um, you know, some of you may, maybe you feel tipped right down 40 hours, and then some of you are laughing at me like at 40 hours of work, I'm just getting started. Okay, kudos to you. Write it down, however long you feel like. All right, write that one down. Let's go to like entertainment. All right, pick your favorite form of entertainment or several forms of entertainment that you do. Maybe you watch TV. I have discovered, I have discovered that this has not always been the case because we've not always had technology, but married life is almost reduced now to one person in the relationship watching TV while the other person in the relationship watches a video on social media incredibly loud sitting next to them. And it is remarkable that I cannot hear a dump truck going through a nitroglycerin plant. But my life, my, my, I have evolved somehow to where I can do, I, I, my wife can watch something loud, I can watch TV, we both know what's going on. I don't even know how it's functional or possible. Uh, or I pretend to do that so that I don't get immensely frustrated. Either way, I'm just saying, not making, uh, Jennifer would never do that. I don't know why I'm just making stuff up. But you probably experienced that. How many hours are you watching two videos at the same time? Just kind of write that down in the day. Uh, look at your other hobbies uh, that you have, depending on your form of entertainment. If you're a golfer in the room, you golf once a week, you probably need to write down 22 hours 
it's like the world's longest game to play. Um, whatever it is that you do, ladies, if you like to shop, now I want you to understand shopping right now does not include, I will get to this list later, this does not include grocery shopping because there's no way anybody grocery shops as a hobby. If you do, there's something wrong with you, you need Jesus, do something about it because that is misery. All right, I'm not talking about grocery shop. We'll put that under chores. Let that be the next thing you do. You've done hobbies, you've done sleep, you've done work, you've done school, now chores. That's where the grocery shopping goes. Um, that's where, you know, vacuuming, sweeping, mowing grass, washing the cars, getting the kids ready for school, whatever all those chores do, how many hours that takes in a day, multiply it by seven, get that written down. Now, if there's anything else that you do consistent in your life, maybe some of you uh, exercise regularly, you like an hour a day of exercise, write that down, seven hours. If there's anything other rhythm in your life that you do consistently, put that down. And then this is what I want you to do, as quickly as possible, and maybe you have to do this afterwards, I want you to tally up those times. And this is what you will discover if you are anywhere near normal, all right? I did a little Google research a couple of months ago. It might have been a year or so ago. I did a little Google research on how much time the average American spends on different activities. And this is what I discovered. When you add them all up, the average American spends like 225 hours a week doing stuff. Now, there's 168 hours in the week, so i do not exactly sure how they do that. But if you'll tally that up, chances are this is what you're going to find. As you look at your list, here's what you're going to find. You're going to discover that you are incredibly busy. You've got a lot going on in your life. And, and here's the interesting thing that I've discovered as we talked about this, particularly in the last gathering, and I've talked to people. Um, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, you're, re you're really busy. All right, because what we didn't factor into that, parents in the room, is I didn't even ask you to list your kids' hobbies, which you know involves you. Like some of you are like, I don't have any hobbies because my kids have taken up all that time. And if your world at all involves the word travel, whether that is travel ball, travel cheer, travel swim, travel dance, tra I found out this week there's travel cheerleading. I had no idea. No idea that exists. No, not, no, I'm not... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not dissing on it. That's all good. I'm just saying, if your world has the word travel in it, just write down 100,000 hours for your week. It's crazy. Crazy how much time that takes. And here's what you'll find. Is you look, and, and I discovered this this morning, it doesn't matter what age or stage you're at in life. Your life is crazy busy. Uh, I have talked to people who are retired, who were like, my entire career, I thought this. One day when I retire, I'll have all this extra time. And if you talk to someone who is retired, they have no extra time. And here's what, here's what they'll find themselves asking, when did I find time to work? And here's what I have learned about time, is that there is not enough time in the week. There's always something sucking time from you. And this is the reality of time. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you prioritize, something in your life or somebody in your life is going to get cheated every single week. You cannot give the attention that everything and everybody wants in your life. You can't give them the attention they want, and you can't give the things the attention it wants. If you do, you'll be at that 120, 225 hours in a 168-hour week. So what that means is, in the gap of how much time we need and how much we have, somebody or something is getting cheated. And some of you have already figured that out when you wrote that down. And here's one of the things that you figured out. When I ask you to write down sleep, 
Most of you probably wrote down how much time you would like to have for sleep. And then you've realized as you've written things down, you're like, oh, no, no, all this is what's, man, that cuts into that. Because the easiest thing that we cut is we just look at it and go, okay. Well, instead of going to bed at 9 o'clock, I'll just go to bed at 11 o'clock. Or instead of getting up at 7 o'clock, I'll get up at 5 o'clock. What you begin to realize is you don't have the time to do all the things and satisfy all the people that are asking for your time. And I think that God understood that when he created us. I think God even had a plan for that when he made us. And one of the interesting things is we look at the book of Genesis, which is just another, the word Genesis is just another word for beginnings. When we look at the book of all the beginnings, and in that book we find the beginning of creation, and we find the, even the beginning of God's revelation of himself to man. And we find uh, in a couple of weeks we'll discover the beginning of the human family and marriage. Uh, we'll find the beginning of rebellion. We find the beginning of resentment. Uh, we find the beginning of brokenness. But one of the things we also find in the beginning is a beginning of something that most of us no longer even consider to be a value. In fact, I would say this. In the culture that we live in, in the culture that most of us grew up in, busyness is a badge of honor. In fact, idle time is often considered laziness or poor work ethic. Or we look down upon a person who has margin in their life very often. And so this morning, I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 2. At the very, very beginning, six days after, uh, the, on the seventh day into, create, into the creation of humanity, and I, or the creation of the world, and I want to show you what God does on the seventh day, and I think you'll find it rather interesting. We find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, that thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And verse 2 says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. And I want you to notice that as Moses is recording what happened on the seventh day of creation, he, there's a lot of redundancy and a lot of, repeat, a lot of repeating phrases in here. And the phrase that's repeated three different times is, God finished his work he had done, and he rested. Now, this is interesting because when, when it says that God finished his work, we know that God didn't finish working because God is still at work today. In fact, God's at work in your life. He's at work in my life. He's in work of the life of the people that are around you. He is still doing. He is still moving. He is still engaging. He is still talking. He still manages the world that we live in, he's what keeps the earth spinning on its axis and the galaxies from colliding in outer space. And he, he maintains the right oxygen level so that we can survive. He's still in charge of the fish in the sea and the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the plants, and how they interact with animals. And that process where, I mean, it's amazing where we breathe out carbon dioxide and the plants take it in and they give out oxygen and we... It's what we use for respiration, and that whole process is just incredible of how all of that works, and God still manages all that. So we know that God's still working. So what does it mean when he says he had finished his work? I, I think it is God saying, I have finished setting this thing into motion. And I love that when God finished it, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, he not only said it was good, he said it was very good. He looked around at it and said, this is very good. I've, I have completed what I have started. And then he rested. And some might would read that and say, wow, 
that must have been exhausting for God to do that. I mean, after all, I'm not sure how much work it takes to create light and separate it from the darkness because I don't have that capability, but it sounds hard, right? I mean, I don't know how much effort it requires to create the plants and the, tree, and the trees and, and of, of the earth, but I, I know how hard it is to garden. I mean, I used to grow like a one-acre garden and watch it come up and cultivate it and pick and good grief. Like, I ain't got time for that in my life anymore. That's way too much work. So I don't know how much work it took for God to create the whole world that way, but it would seem like it would be a lot. And the imagination it takes to, to create all these animals and, and birds and beasts of the fields, and th- I mean, it seems like it would be a lot, but here's the reality. For God, none of that was more exhausting than just a thought that he had about how much he loves you. I mean, to God, there was no, that required no more effort than just the effort to have a thought. And that is not even an effort for God because what we know about the character and the, and the attributes of God is that he doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber. He, nothing tires him. Nothing exasperates him. Nothing depletes his energy level. And so when God rested, God didn't rest because he needed rest. God didn't rest because he was like, boy, this has been a busy week and I've got to take a break. And by the way, what a busy week it was, right? I mean, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we go from that to everything that we know being set into motion in six days. I mean, you, you think your week was busy? That week for God was busy. And yet it didn't tire God. It didn't exhaust God. But yet when God finished his work, he took a rest. And the question becomes, why is this an important part of the beginnings? Why, when we look at how God started things, why is it so important that Moses, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he is writing and penning these words of the historical narrative of the foundations and the creation of the earth, why is it necessary? Why did God want him to mention that on the seventh day, God rested? Well, if we fast forward a little bit into the book of Exodus... And we get over into the book of Exodus and we find the journey of Moses leading the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. We find where he leads them out of Egypt and he leads them across the Red Sea and they're in the wilderness. And here are some two million Jewish people known as the children of Israel. They're not even the nation of Israel at that point. They're just a commonwealth of people that are all of the same ethnicity, all in the wilderness together. And God sends Moses up onto Mount Sinai. And while he's up on Mount Sinai, he gives Moses ten commandments written on stones with his own finger. This is not like Moses hears God and writes it down. This is God writes it in stone himself. And he provides these ten commandments that become the guide for moral conduct for the, for, for the world over. I mean, incredible things that you and I are glad that God wrote to direct how we would interact with one another. I mean, important stuff like have no other God before me. Don't worship idols, just I am the Lord your God, I'm the only God, put no other gods before me. A great rule, by the way, a great mandate uh, for the world to live by. We'd be better off if everybody lived by that mandate. Uh, You may think, well, okay, that one's all right. Well, I mean, there's some other great ones, like thou shalt not murder. We are all glad that that one was a rule, right? Like, don't kill one another, that's a great plan. Don't steal from one another, 
Great plan, by the way. There's never been anybody in the entire world at any point in time that somebody stole something from them. They went, boy, that just blesses my heart. I'm so glad I left my truck unlocked. Right? I did that a couple years ago. I was in Chattanooga. left my truck unlocked. Somebody stole my wallet out of it. By the way, if you ever want to steal from someone, don't steal my wallet. It's just dumb and inconvenient for me, and you'll get nothing. Never steal a wallet from anybody under 50. They don't have money in it, right? And we can cancel our debit cards pretty quickly. And chances are we don't have any money there either, right? I mean, I found the craziest thing. Somebody steals it, and then they find it. Like two hours later, in a garbage can in the bathroom of a hotel room or a hotel bathroom. It's the craziest thing. Uh, so you know all it did for me? Inconvenience. Because it, it happened two minutes after I had canceled all my debit cards and credit cards. They find them and every one of them's in it. They stole two things out of my car, out of my wallet. You, it's crazy. I don't know why people steal this. They stole a fuel card and my Wendy's free frosty stick thing. Seriously, I cannot make this stuff up, right? But never has anybody had something stolen from them. They go, boy, I'll tell you what, just bless my heart today. Such a good day. Had something stolen. As a bonus, they busted the window out of my truck. It was wonderful, right? We love it. We love that there's a moral code that says don't steal from people. Don't commit adultery. We love that one, right? Don't bear false witness. You know what that means? Don't be a liar, Nobody's ever been lied to and went, thank you very much. Well, I'll take that back. Sometimes there, there, There's only one lie that we like. It's when your wife comes out and says, does this dress make my look fat? You lie every time, 100%. You know why? It'll make you feel better, I promise. <laughs> Try telling. If it does and you tell the truth, you won't like it. It's the only time. That one's outside the bounds of the Ten Commandments, all right? It just does. I don't know where that's at in the Bible, but it should be, right? But we don't like being lied to. We don't like being stolen from. We don't like when somebody kills people. They're good rules. And then tucked inside those rules, interestingly enough, tucked inside those Ten Commandments, written by the finger of God, said this. Not that. Said this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath or a rest to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner, the guest who is within your gates. God said, listen, you were built for rest, and you need to take a rest. And he put it in the list of things like don't murder, don't steal, obey and honor your parents, have no other gods before me. And tucked in there is, you need to take a Sabbath rest. And for a long time, we tried to figure that out. For the nation of Israel, children of Israel first, the nation of Israel later, this became a big deal. In fact, they started making up all kind of rules trying to figure out how to manage a Sabbath. Right? I mean, it's like, you can do this on a Sabbath, can't do that. That would be considered work, so you can't do that. You can't, you can't work your ox, but if your ox gets stuck in a ditch, you can go get your ox out, which has never made sense to me. I didn't know cows got stuck in ditches, but whatever. If it does, you can get it out, but you can't, you can't work with it, and you, you can't do this, and you can't do that, but you could do this, and you could do that. And, and even when the children of Israel were roaming around in the wilderness, and God was feeding them with manna, he actually said, hey, on Saturday, or on, 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 
on the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, it's actually Friday, so on Friday you'll, you'll want to gather enough for two days because I don't want you gathering it on the Sabbath. And, of course, some of them did gather it and it, like, spoiled, had maggots when they opened it back up, you know, because they didn't do it the way God told them to do it. And, and, and really what, what God was trying to teach the children of Israel and trying to teach us as we think about this idea of rest is that God wants to remind us that he is our provider, not us. We are not the providers. Husbands and wives in the room that are the breadwinners in your families, we take lots of pride in saying that we are the providers. The truth is, is you are just the method by which God provides. And God wants us to be constantly reminded that it is not just the toil and the labor that provides for us. It is the, it is the sovereign, generous, gracious hand of God that provides. And the way that we are often reminded of that is when we stop from what we're doing and we just rest in the fact that God is what's in control. And so pinned into the moral code of what, of, of, and, and the, the, the stone tablets that would become the moral code of human interaction along with don't kill, don't steal, honor God, honor your father and mother, don't commit adultery is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And for, you know, for, for years in, in, nation, in Israel's history, they did that. And some of you even remember that in the world that we live in. And, and things have really changed. And, and we are no longer under this code of the Ten Commandments, by the way. I mean, some people are like, are we still bound by the Ten Commandments? We are not. In fact, there are no longer Ten Commandments. As at, the, at Pentecost, after the resurrection, Jesus initiated a new commandment. Uh, the, the old had passed away. It became... Um, it, it was something he did away with at the cross. And the new commandment is a lot simpler, actually. There's not ten of them. There's just one. And it is this. In the same way I've loved you, love one another. And you're like, so we can murder and steal and commit adultery now? Well, I, I don't know how you could do that because I'm not sure that you would be loving that person like Jesus loves you if you did those things. It's really hard to kill somebody and go, I just love you like Jesus. Right? It's really hard to cheat on your spouse and go, I did that because I just love you the way Jesus loves you. It's really hard to steal from somebody and go, I just knew how badly you wanted me to bust the window out of your truck. I love you. It, it actually is a moral code that now is much more effective and much clearer. You love people like God loves you. And the decisions you make relative to your moral code is based upon, am I loving the other person like Jesus loved me? And interestingly enough, all throughout the New Testament, every Ten Commandments, every one of the Ten Commandments is reiterated in the New Testament except one, and it's the one about the Sabbath. You might be thinking, so God doesn't want us to rest anymore? Is that what you're saying? No, man, actually, it's very different from that. You see, I, I grew up in a time when I remember my dad, who didn't even go to church much, didn't want me to go hunting and shoot a gun on Sunday because it was breaking some kind of rule. Like, you can't do that on the Sabbath. I mean... We can go out to eat after church, but you can't shoot a gun. I'm not sure what the difference was, right? Chick-fil-A don't open on Sunday because it's like, man, this is the Lord's Day, which is also interesting because the Sabbath wasn't Sunday. It was Saturday, and even Chick-fil-A's open then, right? And so the question becomes, what does any of this have to do with us now? And it's really cool that Jesus answered that. In, in Mark, it's a really cool day in Mark. It was the whole Sabbath. It was one Sabbath, Mark chapter 2, that Jesus was going through the grain field. And as he and the disciples made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Interesting. They're walking through a grain field. It's on Saturday. It's on the Sabbath when they're not supposed to do any work. 
other than get the ox out of the ditch. And they walked past some grains in the grain fields, some food that they could eat. And they began to pluck it and eat it. And the Pharisees, observing that, they noticed and they said to him, said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They said, Why are they breaking the Sabbath rules? Why are they doing what they're not supposed to do? Have you not taught them? You're a rabbi for crying out loud. And if any good Jewish rabbi would have told his Jewish students how to obey the Sabbath. And ultimately, this is Jesus' response to them. He says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, all throughout the pages of Scripture, as we look at the way God interacts with people, and we look at God's commands for people, and we look at the principles of Scripture, we can be we, we can find ourselves very jaded in thinking that God is just a dictator, ruler, who just makes rules because he wants to, make, wants to take away all of our fun. When in fact, here's what God does. God is the maker. He's the creator. He's the designer of our lives. And God understands us better than we understand ourselves. And as the creator and the maker, he knows the best way for us to do life. And the best way for us to do life is according to his principles. His principles are not there to be burdensome and keep us from having fun. Listen to me. Don't miss this. They are in place to help you get the most out of life. The author of life understands how to get the most out of life. And so he sets principles in place to help us to do that. And in Genesis chapter 2, he gives the ultimate example, a God who doesn't tire and doesn't fatigue, said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a rest. So that in Exodus chapter 20, when he pins the words of the moral code of conduct, he would then say, remember to rest, keep it holy, set it apart. By the way, holy doesn't just mean make it like church. The idea of holy means set it apart. Set apart, be intentional about rest. And then in Mark chapter 2, he gives us clarity and says, listen, the Sabbath, you, you weren't designed for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was designed for you. It has your interest in mind. And as I begin to consider this, and as I begin to consider the culture that we live in, I find something very interesting. I find that we are very, very prone to scheduling the important things in our lives. Like, I bet you if we were to take a survey, the vast majority of the people who are sitting in this room or watching online, you have an alarm to wake you up in the morning. I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just do it. Show of hands. How many of you have an alarm on your phone or somewhere to wake you up in the morning? Look at their hands all over the room. You know why? Because it's important you get up. In fact, I have, I have watched on Facebook, some of you post your little alarm screen on your phone, and some of you are psychotic about it. It's like you want to get up at 6 o'clock and you've got like 505, 510, 515, 520, 525. you got all these alarms. To which I'm like, why do you have all those? There's a button called snooze. It goes off every nine minutes. Here's a life hack for you. Here's what I do. I set my alarm early. I plan to hit snooze. When I hit snooze, I calculate what time is it plus nine. All right. Then I begin to think about what if I were to do that the next four times. So it's like 6.30, 6.39, 6.48, 6 Here's the thing. You do about nine math problems, you might as well just get up. You ain't going back to sleep. It's a much better plan than yours to get an alarm every five minutes, right? And you can be like some people I know. 
They set like 32 alarms. The only people they wake up is the other people in the house. Might be some of them people living, sitting in the back row this morning. It don't wake them up. They're just numb to the alarm. But you know what I hear? Nine minutes. Just turn it off. Don't set it. Right? You know why we set alarms? Because we know that something important that we need to get to, and we don't want to be late. When I get a text message that says, you have a hair appointment Friday at 9 a.m., you know what I do? I immediately put it into my calendar. I go down to the alert. I set an alert for two hours before and one hour before. You know why? I don't want to be late to get my hair cut. I've told somebody I'm going to be there. They're expecting me to be there, so I set two alarms to remind me to be there. If you call me and say, hey, we need to have a meeting I look at my calendar, I look at my budget, my time budget, also known as a calendar. If there's nothing there, I say, yeah, sure, I can meet with you. I then go and set two alarms. Depending on what kind of meeting that is, it might be one day before and one hour before. So that the day before I prepare for the meeting and the hour before I'm not late for the meeting. Why? Because if something is important, I'm intentional about making sure that I'm there. But let me ask you this. A bunch of you have alarms and a bunch of you have calendars. How many entries are there in that calendar and on that alarm for this is my rest time? This is the time that I'm going to rejuvenate. This is the time that I'm going to quiet the noise in my life. Because I don't have enough time to rest, I'm going to rest. If you're hearing this this morning, you're going, Matt, I don't have any margin in my life to schedule rest. Then you are the person in the room who needs to schedule rest the most. Your life, your body, your soul is designed for routine rest. You are made in the image of God. And on the seventh day, he rested to indicate to you and set the example that you need intentional rest. I'm not talking about sleep, by the way. I, it, it, listen, if all you needed was sleep, it needed just to go to sleep so that you could feel more energy if that's all you needed God's already designed you that way you will go to sleep ever so often it might be every 48 hours but eventually your body will put yourself to sleep it isn't sleep you need it is rest that you need where you quiet the conflict in your life you quiet the noise of your life and you quiet the chaos and some of you I got some moms of young kids in the room right now you're going I'd love to quiet that chaos you got any tips for that I understand and depending on the season and the stage and the age that you are in life right now, the opportunities to do that may be slim. But the more difficult it is for you to schedule rest, the more imperative it is that you get intentional about it. If your life feels so chaotic you don't have time to rest, that's an indicator that you need to rest more. And if you're not intentional about it, then the thing that will get cheated in your life will be your rest you see I can assure you you don't have time to rest I bet none of you factored in on that inventory we took earlier I bet none of you went hey the one thing I do consistently every week is I rest I'm gonna put that down right here I mean I, I, I take a half a day every Saturday and I'm not gonna let anything get in that time I'm putting that down I bet nobody in the room I bet virtually nobody in the room put that which means you don't have time for it but the fact that you don't have time indicates you need to get intentional about making time. You see, if you wanted a bottom line this morning, and I know we all do, we rest for life, not from life. 
You see, when you're resting from life, what that means is I've had all I can take of life. I've gotten so, I'm so razzled, I'm so exasperated, my life is out of control, and i got to have a rest. That's resting from life. That happened to me year two of LifePoint. We, we planted a church, and many of you may have never been a part of something like that, but when you plant a church and you're the lead guy, there is never enough time. I mean, we, when we planted this church, we didn't even own a pencil, right? It's everything you see, has, God has provided, but it started with zero. And, and, and I, was, I was going from being a student pastor who, by the way, man, I miss student pastor days. That's just like, have fun. Don't worry about who you upset. Say you're sorry a lot. I love those days. Then I realized I'm the guy that the youth guy's got to say I'm sorry too. And you begin to bear all this weight. And, and however many people showed up on Sunday felt like it was my responsibility. And however many people were having issues felt like my responsibility. And two years in, I'm having to go to Quentin and call some of our leaders and say, hey, guys, i got to have a month off. I, I can't do this. I'm about to lose my family. I'm about to lose my kids, my wife. I'm not the person I want to be, and I'm definitely not the person that they need me to be because I never factored in the importance of rest. And in those 30 days, let me tell you what I learned. I learned that for me to be my best, I've got to rest. If I'd have thought of that this week, that would probably been the bottom line. <laughs> Write that down. For you to be your best... You need to rest. That's a better bottom line. If you can call everybody that was in the first gathering and tell them that, that would be wonderful. And rest is not necessarily going to sleep. In fact, rest is not necessarily inactivity. For me, I don't rest sitting around. The most tiring thing I can do in my life is to sit around. I hate it. When, we, when my family goes on vacation, I don't sit on the beach and just like take a nap. I, I don't like sitting around. I do a lot of stuff. Because for me, rest looks different than maybe it does for you. But the thing that you better figure out is how to rejuvenate your life. I, I will leave you with this thought. I want you to imagine a big water tank, maybe a two or 300-gallon water tank. The top of the tank has got a place that it can be filled, and the bottom of the tank has got a drain. And that drain is always open. Nothing you can do to stop it being open. And if you want the tank to be full, you've got to be constantly putting something in the top of it. Because every time something goes in, something's coming out. What I have found is you need to figure out two things in your life. What drains you and what fills you. And for the most part, you probably already know the things that drain you. And the tendency that people have in their life when they feel like they are drained and they feel like they can't go on any further is they start figuring out how to eliminate the stuff that drains them. And the problem with that is the things that often drain you are the things that are necessary in your life. Because we don't like to talk about it, but honestly... For many of you, your work, your employment drains you. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. It should. As a part of the fall, work became hard. Because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, work is toil. And so it probably drains you. There's nothing wrong with that. Unfortunately, you obviously can't just stop working. Because my guess is you enjoy work more than you enjoy homelessness and starvation. So you can't just eliminate that. Honestly, for some of us in the room, and a lot of us in the room, and depending on the season, maybe all of us in the room, your children can be a drain. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. That's part of it. It is work to raise children. But you can't eliminate that. You can't just one day go, I ain't doing it anymore. So you can't just eliminate the drain. 
In fact, if you had a big barrel, if you had a big water tank, you wouldn't want to anyway. Because if you stopped up the drain and all you did was have water in there, eventually that even, even fresh water becomes stagnant if it doesn't have a drain. That's, that's not even healthy. Here's what's healthy. What's healthy is to know what drains the tank and what fills the tank. And make sure that however much you're draining the tank, you're also filling the tank. See, I had to learn the things in my life that fill me. And people are different. I, I'm actually an introvert. Y'all may find that hard to believe. I'm, I'm very introverted. I don't mind a crowd. I don't mind a stage. And I can stay up here and talk all day. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not uncomfortable here. But this drains me. Crowds and public drains me. I actually refuel alone and in solitude or with small amounts of people like just my family, just my kids. And so what I have to do is recognize that the role that I have and the calling I have in life is a drain to me. It doesn't mean I don't do it or I stop doing it. It means I make sure I'm intentionally filling my tank with the things that fill me and fuel me. Things like getting on a kayak. Most of my kayaks have one seat. You know why? Because I don't want you with me. And if you are with me, maybe you borrow one of my other kayaks, you are with me, you know what I've learned? I can get away with, I can get away from you. Hey, the fishing's great over there. Go check it out. Right? Why? Because I refuel alone. I mean, I have ADD as bad as anybody in the room. I can go sit in a tree stand for hours by myself and not move. You know why? Because it is a way I get fueled and it refuels me. And so you, I don't apologize for the time that I have to take to refuel because if I, the, the rest puts me at my best. And the same thing is true for you. You were designed for rest. And it's not resting from life. It's not getting to the point where you go, I can't take it anymore. It's being intentional and resting for your life. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Very practical and we're done. I want you to take about the next 32, 33 days which puts you to the end of February, right? So about a month. And I want you to just, just try this for one month. If you don't like it, quit doing it. And for the next month, I want you to be intentional about your rest. I want you to budget your rest. I want you to think of the things that fuel you. I want you to write those things down. And I want you to schedule them. I want you to find intentional time to schedule it. And I want you to make sure that no, I want you on your calendar. If I, all I know is iPhone. Can I get an iPhone? You can make it marked as busy. I want you to make it marked as a busy time. That there, it's, it's a non-negotiable. I am going to take time to rest. God took time to rest. What makes you think that you don't need to? We rest for life, not from life. To be your best, take a rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. And thank you for the reminder that you designed us, uh, you made us, you know how to optimize our lives, you know how we best function, and you have made it very clear that you've designed us for rest. Uh, not, not this legalistic Sabbath, can't do something on Sunday, don't go to restaurants, and don't go shoot a gun, I, not, not that kind of religious fanatical, ideal, no, just intentionally understanding that we're designed for rest. You've made us that certain things fuel us and certain things drain us. 
to understand how you've made us and to trust you enough to schedule time in our lives to just take a deep breath, to not feel guilty about rest, but to understand that's part of the way you've made us and it's your expectation of us. Father, I pray that over the next 30 days that you would you would show our church, you would show the people here who are willing to listen to you the value of rest. In Jesus' name, amen.